Welcome to this special edition of Aging with Grace, 55 Plus, Vote Safe, Kentucky. This edition is sponsored by Kentucky AARP, which is committed to voter education and outreach because voting is your voice. Here in Kentucky, we have a primary coming up on May 17th. We also have a general election coming up on November the 8th. Right now, let's focus on the primary that's coming up, which will be something that folks will remember, be able to focus on a lot more, I submit, than November. Because of the primary of May the 17th, the last day to register for that election is April the 18th of this year. In our last uh, program last month, we talked about the absentee portal dates, which I will also remind you about. It's April 2nd through May the 3rd. And in terms of voting safe in Kentucky, you can get more information about some of the election law changes and other uh, other activities that govern voting in Kentucky by visiting sos.ky.gov. But I thought in this special edition of Aging with Grace, we go right to the source, right to the source who's, who's responsible for voting safe in Kentucky, which is Secretary of State Michael Adams. Secretary Adams, how are you today? I'm great, Dale. Thanks for including me today. I'm excited Absolutely. to be here. Absolutely. We're so glad that you're here. Um, Last month, we talked about the uh, online voter services portal, and we had some other um, uh, discussions as well that I hope listeners will be able to hear when they go to my website, awg55.com. For this particular edition, I thought we'd talk about the the new signature cure process. Uh, What is that, and why is that important to voting safe in Kentucky? Well, thanks. Let me put this into a little bit of uh, context. And this is not a criticism of of anyone at all. It's just the nature of what our laws used to be. Uh, In 2018, about seven and a half percent of the absentee vote was thrown in the garbage. Uh, I can't put it any more bluntly than that. What happened was people voted absentee. That's been their right in our state constitution since 1945. They voted by absentee ballot. And the law requires appropriately so that you sign the, the envelope that your ballot is in, not, not the ballot, but the envelope so we can verify your signature. Well, we verified the signatures against the signatures the voters had signed on their voter registration cards. That was that was the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they didn't match because guess what? People's signatures change over time. Uh, I'm 45 years old. Mine looks different today than it did when I was 18. I've got three grandparents still alive and theirs look a lot different than they did in the 50s when they registered to vote. Here's the problem. Our law didn't require any kind of process to notify these folks and give them a second chance to sign or to otherwise verify that they were the voters in fact. And so those ballots were just discarded with no due process, no notice, no nothing. And so uh, in 2020, when I came in, that's an issue that I spotted recognizing we were going to have a much higher utilization of absentee voting in, in a pandemic. And so uh, I worked with the governor and we came up with an agreed uh approach to that where we were going to automatically notify any voter whose signature didn't match and give them a chance to verify it was them. That re-enfranchised tens of thousands of voters who would have had their ballots thrown out. But it also gave us a line on people potentially having been uh, defrauded. Uh, If someone's signature doesn't match, I want to know that too. If it wasn't that voter, I want the voter to know that there may be a case of identity fraud there. So this is a great example of how the cure process both makes the election more accessible, but also more secure at the same time. Wow. Well, that's a, that's very important because this is a sacred right. 
you know, that, that we, that we do not take for, should not take for granted. And that's my biggest concern, uh, candidly speaking personally, uh, secretary Adams is it seems like there's been such an attack on a cherished American tradition, that this is what sets us apart from other countries in the world. And I really appreciate you and other secretaries of state to step up and make sure that this uh, American right for us is this democratic cherished tradition, I should say, not American right, but a cherished uh, tradition continues unimpeded. Well, thank you. You know, I think one mistake that some legislators around the country have made is they think that you have to make it harder to vote uh, to make it harder to cheat. And and you don't. Uh, You can make it easier to vote and harder to cheat at the same time. And sometimes, as with the cure process, you get both at the same time. You enhance uh, accessibility and security simultaneously. That's the right way to lead, I think. We've expanded in-person voting by adding three days of early voting. And that includes also the Saturday before the election. That sounds like a game changer. Yeah, I, I think so. And I'm, I'm a history buff, and I went and looked this up. And believe it or not, in our first two state constitutions in Kentucky, we actually had, as a matter of right, four days to go vote, not just one. As a matter of constitutional right, our voters had four days to go vote, and they got to pick which one they wanted. And we had that for a long time. And then in 1891, the legislate the uh, the constitution uh, there was a new constitution passed and it offered one day to vote but it wasn't a mandate of just one day it was a bare minimum of one day and the constitution gave the legislature the authority to expand that if they wanted but guess what they just didn't hmm. for 130 years they sat on their hands and they didn't expand voting and honestly I was a little embarrassed for our country over that time because. Other states made it easier to vote, and we didn't. We had the shortest voting period in America of any state. One day, 12 hours, six to six, and that's the only hours we gave people to vote. Well, look, I'm in the customer service business. Uh, I work for the taxpayers, and we'd be outraged as taxpayers if if the DMV were open just one day or the unemployment office were open just one day. We'd be furious, and we'd be mm-hmm. right to be furious. How can we possibly accept the polls being open one day? There's no good reason for it. So just as a matter of basic customer service, I thought it was important to expand that voting period. I want to give you an example of one person I know who who didn't usually vote, who mm-hmm. did vote in 2020 because we expanded voting days. That's my okay. mom. My mom, Cindy Adams, works at JCPenney, works long hours, a lot of overtime, has trouble getting off of work. She was able to vote in 2020 because it was easier because she had more days to pick from. And I want every Kentuckian to have that opportunity. Uh, What we saw in 2020 when we made voting easier is Democrat uh, turnout went up, Republican turnout went up. The turnout set records. We had the highest turnout we'd ever had in both our primary and our general. That's a a successful system. And we also had less fraud. Mm-hmm. You can have both at the same time, accessibility and security. And, and I think expanding voting is proof positive of that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, when we talk about expanding voting, how will the person know if they're registered to vote? Well, you can go to our website, govoteky.com. And there's a little link there to check your registration information. Uh, you just plug in your name and your social and it'll it'll pop up. Uh, obviously, if it doesn't pop up, then it's probably good to go ahead and register. You can do that online. You don't have to. You can certainly go to your county clerk's office or or you can mail in a form that's available. Uh, but the easiest way to do that is just to do it online uh, at our website, govoteky.com. Nationally, there's been a lot of uh, discussion about the, uh, the, the integrity of absentee drop boxes. 
Uh, however, in Kentucky, we have quite a few drop boxes. We've expanded that. Uh, how do you ensure the safety and the uh, the integrity of votes in absentee drop boxes? Well, this is something that I implemented. Uh, we never had drop boxes before 2020, but I thought they were useful uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, in the context of trying to avoid crowds and promote social distancing, we wanted to have a way that people could, could vote, uh, another avenue for them. But we also understand that not everybody trusts the Postal Service. I'm not going to demean uh, the Postal Service, their integrity or their competence, but I'll just be honest, a lot of voters don't necessarily want to hand over their ballot to a third party. They want to know that it's going straight to the county clerk and will be counted. And so you can certainly mail back your ballot if you choose, but you don't have to. If you want to vote absentee, but you don't want to mail it back, you can hand deliver that to the county clerk or you can drop it in the drop box. And we found that drop boxes were even more popular with Republicans than with Democrats, even though there's a there's a belief that Republicans don't like absentee voting. I found that to be not true here in Kentucky. They love uh, absentee voting and the drop boxes. We'll return to this special edition of Aging with Grace, Vote Smart Kentucky shortly, which is also made possible by today's Transitions Magazine and DPL Financial Partners. More information on both sponsors can be found at todaystransitionsnow.com and dplfp.com. Hey, listeners, we love trivia here, and I'm sure many of you do too. So here's some political trivia for all of us to enjoy. In the early days, votes were not cast as we're heading into election season. In early days, votes were not cast by a secret ballot, but by raising hands or by a voice vote. Yay! Nay. (laughs) By mid-1800s, I'm sorry, I I couldn't resist that. (laughs) By the mid-1800s, some states were using paper ballots, but voters or party leaders were responsible for bringing the ballots to the polls where the votes were made public. Now, you know, knowing human nature as well as I do, and I'm sure you do too, I bet that was a real secret process, right? You know, all the way to the courthouse, hey, you, no peeking at them there ballots back there. Leave them alone. Well, turns out I digress because maybe not so much because Massachusetts also apparently had this same concern, given they were the first state to pass a law requiring ballots to be secret in 1888. That trend spread across the United States as election seasons progressed, and in 1891, Kentucky, that's right, my old Kentucky home, was the last state to adopt this law three years later. And here's another really fun piece of of political trivia in this election season. Did you know that United States Army Major General Zachary Taylor never once voted, never once voted, folks, prior to his electoral victory and becoming the 12th president of the United States in 1849? That's right, listeners. He never voted. And as a matter of fact, here's the kicker. He kept his political beliefs a secret right up until winning his election. (laughs) Different times, different place. 
but all part of what makes America great in terms of our electoral process. And then finally, here's a here, this is a, this is a really good one. I love this one. Uh, George Washington, yeah, President Washington. You know, he's, he graces the dollar bill. You know, can never tell. He just uh, did all sorts of things on his way to becoming America's greatest leader. You know, decisions and etc. But anyway, his entire campaign budget for the 1758 election to the House of Burgesses was spent on liquor. 50 British pounds. That's $62.48 in today's money. Wherein George purchased, George Washington purchased 160 gallons of alcohol that was given to 390 voters in the House of Burgesses in Virginia. This was a tradition in England, one that Washington borrowed and employed in Virginia. Um, You know, maybe, you know, okay, so they, they, I'm sorry, I I just can't move on from this. I mean, could you imagine people in the electoral process in the House of Burgesses actually started drinking this beer and, you know, of course, it's called grog then, I guess. But anyway, you know, George, yeah, whatever you want, man. I, you got my, you got, you got my vote. Oh, yeah, just count on me, George. Yeah, yeah, I'll vote. Yeah, 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 for that. I'm, I'm right here for any debate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine the, the how that how that body functioned, or perhaps didn't function? But anyway, one thing that we can function in our time is the amazing Today's Transitions magazine, aptly titled Renewal. That's the spring 2022 edition, and it's available online at todaystransitionsnow.com. And speaking of now, let's return to our interview with Kentucky Secretary of State Michael G. Adams. And also, you have done a good job in, in, in affecting bipartisan change as well, which is excellent. That shows your ability to work across the aisle in a red state. Well, you know, I, uh, I thank you for that. I, I think it's important that whoever's in this position is fair and neutral and seem to be that because the last thing you want is a hack in this office, D or R. You don't want someone who is just going to rig the rules for their side. It's really important, I think, for this uh, position to be fair and seen as fair. So both sides trust the process. You don't want either side feeling like the game is rigged and they shouldn't vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, Secretary Adams, in our last, uh, this last month's program, we talked about the uh, matter of uh, safety for precinct workers, and you, you shared some numbers in terms of the number of people. You say you need about 15,000 volunteers to run elections in Kentucky. How can you ensure the safety of those precinct workers, given some of the stories that we heard from the last general election nationally? Well, this is something that we take really seriously. Uh, I testified before Congress about this issue uh, last year. Uh, I've been in conversations with legislators this year uh, about uh, improving security for election workers. But let me point this out. We've not had an experience in Kentucky on my watch or before, uh, not in modern times, where any election worker has been threatened. Uh, we have we had uh, peacefulness at the polls uh, in 2020, despite all the hot tempers we did yeah. not have any election workers or, or voters uh, threatened or harassed. We kept everybody safe. Uh, on the Board of Elections for every county in our state, by law, is the sheriff. And so the sheriff is the is the best person locally to know of, 
of potential threats and to ensure the safety of of all the election workers that are reporting to the county board, which the sheriff is on. So obviously we at the state level, uh, I have regular conversations with with the state police uh, and other uh, law enforcement on election threats, as well as our federal partners. And so we take this very, very seriously. I have no reason to believe that there is any imminent threat uh, to to myself or any of my staff uh, or any of our election workers. The last question for you, Secretary, and by the way, for our, for our listeners, we are interviewing and have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Adams. He's a Secretary of State for Kentucky. This special edition of Aging with, with Grace is sponsored by Kentucky AARP and today's Transitions magazine for, for mature readers. Um, last question for you. In terms of, of boat ballot harvesting, that's been something which has been a hot-button issue nationally. Has that been an issue in Kentucky? And if so, how are we combating it? Or have you not seen evidence of ballot harvesting uh, with uh, third parties going door to door collecting absentee ballots? As I said in a, uh, just a minute ago about the drop boxes, it's best to minimize third party involvement in ballot delivery. Uh, I want the voters to be able to directly provide their ballots without a third party intervening. There's a reason we've got a law that prohibits people from campaigning within 100 feet of a polling place. We don't want any intimidation or tampering or any other sort of involvement by outside groups on either side with the voter. Let the voter vote free of duress, free of harassment. Uh, Unfortunately, this is the nature of absentee voting is it occurs outside the purview of the election officials. So I thought it was important for us to uh, limit the role of third parties on this. Uh, We actually have seen fraud sway elections Uh, from ballot harvesting. I'll give you two examples. One from North Carolina. In 2018, there was a race for U.S. Congress, a a major election. And uh, the Board of Elections uh, for North Carolina had to undo the election, throw it out and have a special election because there was so much fraud coming out of the ballot harvesting that occurred in that state. They couldn't tell who won. They didn't have a fair election. That was just a couple of years ago, three years ago. Uh, In Kentucky, we've actually had a mayor go to prison, federal prison, Uh, Not on state charges because we had no state law against ballot harvesting. But here's what she did. The mayor of Martin, Kentucky in Floyd County. What she did is she controlled public housing in her community and her election team went to the voters in public housing and said, you've got to vote absentee and we're going to watch you vote and we're going to live your ballots back for you. So we know you voted for the mayor. And if you don't, we'll kick you out, kick you out of your house. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. We actually have a, a. a little blurb about this on our website. Uh, now, fortunately, the feds got wind of it. The feds indicted her, prosecuted her, convicted her, convicted her workers. They were sent to prison. Uh, but again, not on state charges. Uh, it's important to me that we have state charges available to add just one more disincentive for people to pull a scheme like this. I don't want to have third parties touching ballots. I want people to trust the process. And that's just better if it's a conversation between the voter and the election official without the third party groups intervening. Good point. One last question for you about uh, voter registration, if, the, if it's changed. But before I go to that question, I want to remind our listeners that we have a primary coming up on May the 17th in Kentucky, and we have a general election on November the 8th. So folks, circle those dates on your calendars. And remember, the last day to register for the primary election on May 17th is April the 18th. And that brings me to my last question, Secretary Adams, which is this. If the voter has already registered, 
how do they change his or her, or can they change their party, political party registration? Well, the short answer is yes, but the longer answer is it depends. You can change your party registration at any time. You can do it on a card. You can do it at the clerk's office. You can do it on our website, govoteky.com. But I'm going to encourage you to not do that right now, and here's why. State law, and I've tried to get this law changed. I haven't succeeded in that yet. State law says if you want to vote in a Democratic primary, you have to be a registered Democrat December 31st of the year before the primary or, or Republican or whatever. Well, so if you change your party now, guess what happens? You can't vote in the primary. Because if you if you were a Republican on December 31st and you changed Democrat today, you don't qualify to vote in the Democratic primary under the law. But now also you're a Democrat, you can't vote in the Republican primary. So you certainly can change your party anytime you want, but the best time to do that is the year before the election you want to vote in that party uh, primary. So a free country, if you want to change it, change it. But I would encourage voters, uh, wait until the primary is over on May 17th before you change your registration, because all you'll do is block yourself from voting in the primary if you change it now. That would be a nightmare. Oh, yeah. So let's not do that, folks. <laughs> let's wait. And you heard that from the, right from the source which is the uh, Secretary of State, Michael Adams. Secretary, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime, Dale. This is great. As we go to our close, and given this is primary voting season, thought I'd wrap up Episode 7 of Season 2 with three more pieces of political trivia. Are you ready? Here's number one. The 19th Amendment was adopted in 1920, giving women the right to vote. And since 1964, here's an interesting tidbit, more women voters have gone to the polls than male voters during presidential election years. Although this is not a presidential election cycle, guys, let's start voting. Let's practice voting. Get on the stick and let's vote in this primary season. And if you have any questions about how to vote in Kentucky, go to the website GoVoteKY.com for more information. Number two, the legal voting age across the United States was once 21, but in 1943, Georgia became the first state to lower the legal voting age to 18. Later, this became an official part of the U.S. Constitution when the 26th Amendment was ratified in 1971. And let's go back to Zachary Taylor. You'll remember the 12th president of the United States from my earlier break in this podcast. Yeah, the guy who never voted until he ran and won his election in 1849. Did you know that our 12th president of the United States only served in that office from 1849 until he died following a brief illness in 1850? The exact cause of his death is still disputed by some historians, but here are the facts. On a scorching 4th of July in Washington, D.C., President Taylor attended festivities at the newly dedicated grounds upon which the Washington Monument would soon be constructed. According to several sources, President Taylor gulped down a large quantity of cherries and iced milk 
and later returned to the White House, where he quenched his thirst with several glasses of water, chasing the large quantity of cherries and ice milk he had already consumed. Outbreaks of cholera, a deadly disease caused by bacteria, occurred frequently during the hot, long summer months in humid Washington, D.C. during the 1800s when sewage systems were, to say it politely, primitive at best. The bacteria were most likely present in the water or ice milk President Taylor drank, though other sources have claimed that Taylor died of gastroenteritis caused by the highly acidic cherries combined with fresh milk. Either way, President Zachary Taylor sadly passed away on the evening of July 9th, 1850, after four days of suffering from symptoms that included severe cramping, diarrhea, nausea, and dehydration. His personal physicians concluded that he had succumbed to cholera morbus. Cholera morbus is a bacterial infection of the small intestine. His vice president, Millard Fillmore, was sworn in as the new president of the United States of America the next day. Well, listeners, that concludes Episode 7, Vote Safe Kentucky, Part 2. Many thanks to Kentucky Secretary of State Michael G. Adams for stopping by. Also, hats off to both of his staff members, Haley Bradburn, now the newlywed Haley Day, and Michonne Lindstrom. This podcast series is made possible by Kentucky AARP, DPL Financial, and today's Transition Magazine. Choose to see new possibilities, you'll find them. Life is a gift, so join me in wishing everyone we meet to be present in it. Aging is not a time of diminishment or being relegated to the sidelines of life, but this is our time of application of lessons taught by some of our best teachers, including experience. I'd love to hear from you, so you know the drill. Send me an email, dale at awg55.com. I always love hearing from my listeners. And now, the last thought of the day comes from James Clear, author of the book Atomic Habits. James writes, Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been your host, Dale Josie, of Aging with Grace 55 Plus.